Pat McAfee. How's it going, man? Life is good. Thank you so much for having me. I can't wait to chit-chat about Fourth Down. I've listened to the Fourth Down experience before. I've heard a couple conversations. I like what you guys are doing. I'm excited to be a guest here. This is awesome. You and Gary Vee were probably our two biggest influences just to give us confidence to go forward with the special teams podcast. So thanks for everything, actually. No problem. That's a real honor for you to say that. I appreciate it. Uh, I think my approach to the game is something that people could enjoy, so I thank you for doing that. And me and Gary V, uh, being in the same sentence is truly a beautiful thing. I like that guy a lot. Welcome to the 4th Down Experience, the podcast devoted to special teams. Your host of the 4th Down Experience former pro free agent, nine-year professional kicking coach out of the Midwest, Coach Chris Hughesby. Alongside Coach Chris Hughesby is a former two-time Arena Bowl champion, nine-year pro kicking coach, rep in the South, Coach Brian Jackson. Hey, what's up, 4D Nation? This podcast has been brought to you by NKR, the National Kicking Rankings Platform. It's the new and innovative national evaluation and rankings platform for kickers, punters, and snappers. Launched in 2017, this camp offers you a great balance of athletic evaluation and instruction. You'll get honest feedback and rankings, exposure to college coaches, but this camp is brought to you by credible coaches with experience that will deliver a high-quality and detailed instruction to you. NKR offers an active social media platform that will give you proper exposure to all the collegiate outlets. This camp was developed by Brian Jackson, Chris Hughesby, and Tom Feely using a proven camp format from the last seven to eight years that specialists have come to love. Many of the specialists have received opportunities to play at all collegiate levels, including Power 5 conferences. If you'd like to attend an upcoming camp this offseason, visit www.nationalkickingrankings.com and check out the camps page. Or follow us on social media on Twitter at NKR underscore camps. That's NKR underscore camps. Or on Instagram at National Kicking Rankings to learn more about us and follow our growth. Come see what all the hype is all about and check out NationalKickingRankings.com. How you guys doing, 40 Nation? Chris Hughesby here. And Brian, how are you doing over there, Brian? Hey, I'm doing fantastic. Excited about this episode. Yes. So, uh, so fellow uh, 40 listeners here, we are excited about this one. Um, we have Gary Anderson on the podcast. This is one I've been excited about and, and look forward to for a long time. Um, when I was a player growing up, um, Gary was my kicking idol. He was the guy I looked up to um, through mutual connections when I was younger, uh, I was fortunate to get a, a lesson with Gary at training, Vikings training camp and, and got to got the chance to know him a little bit further over the years and super excited to have him back with us, um, have him talk about his career, things he's learned along the way. Uh, Gary has had a highly touted career, four-time Pro Bowler, Golden Toll Award winner in 98 for having a perfect season, was named to the NFL All-Decade Team in the 1980s and 90s. The Pittsburgh Steelers all-team, all and at one point was the all-time leading scorer in the NFL, and uh, we were excited to have Gary Anderson on. Gary, welcome to the 4th Down Experience. How are you? Oh, I'm great. Thanks, uh, Chris and Brian. I'm excited to chat with you guys. Yeah. Thank you, Gary. Uh, this is definitely a pleasure. 
this is exciting to have you on here to talk about your career and, and also provide some tips for fellow specialists and our youth. So Gary, um, what we want to start off with a little bit here is just you know tell the listeners where you're from, how'd you get into kicking, um, and just sort of what was life growing up to you as you what was life like growing up for you as you sort of got into kicking and and then eventually got to the U.S. to to play. Yeah, so uh, my story is a little unusual, being that I grew up many thousands of miles away uh, in the country of South Africa. In fact, I was just over there uh, a month ago uh, in my home country with my wife on a fantastic trip. So, um, you know, I grew up uh, there as a kid. My dad actually was a professional soccer player in Ireland uh, when he was young and then in England and he came to South Africa as a young man to play soccer and met my mom there and got married and um, um, I'm one of four kids and we all um, uh, grew up in South Africa and actually what's interesting in South Africa the main game is rugby. South Africans and New Zealand's all uh, uh, debate as to who the best rugby player a nation in the world is, and when I was there just a month ago, South Africa actually beat New Zealand in a big rugby match, so they had bragging rights for a little while, but, so that, um, growing up as a kid, I, th- I played the three main sports, uh, rugby, cricket, and soccer, probably in that order, each in their season, um, you know, from when I was a young boy, but... Uh, because of my dad being a professional soccer player, I spent a lot of time as a kid uh, kicking the ball uh, around. I used to kick a soccer ball, you know, all day, every day, pretty much. So uh, that's how I learned to use my feet as a, uh, a young kid growing up. And then as I uh, progressed into the game of rugby and played a uh, position called fly half, which is kind of the, the guy in rugby who does a lot of kicking. So I was able to sort of further those uh, soccer skills I had learned. Uh, and uh, I used to spend countless hours as a teenager practicing uh, kicking the rugby ball, which, uh, as you know, is a similar shape to an American football. And I had never, ever seen American football till I was 18 years old and my family immigrated to America. Awesome. Uh, Gary, just out of curiosity, in South Africa, did, did they call it soccer or did they call it football? Uh, they call it both, actually, <laughs> in, in South Africa, because they don't have to worry about, you know, they don't know anything about American football there, um, and of course, the main game is rugby, so they don't have to worry about being confused. <laughs> nice. So, okay, so then how, so so your family immigrated into the States, uh, how did you get into playing American football then, or how did you get the pigskin in front of you to start kicking? Yeah, so I'll try to give you the quick version of that story. Um my parents only knew uh, one family in America, and they lived in a small town called Downingtown, which is just maybe 30 miles or so west of Philadelphia. And we, um, 
We had only been in America uh, two days. It was our second evening we were having dinner with this family. And over the course of dinner, they started to explain this game of American football to us. And knowing that we were soccer players, uh, the gentleman uh, quickly got around to saying, hey, you know, there's one guy who, who all he does is kick. And, and that was kind of puzzling to us because all the games that I grew up playing, you know, even though I was the fly half and kicker in, uh, in rugby, you're out on the field the whole time. Whereas, so we were totally unfamiliar with the whole sort of American sports concept where they seem to have specialists for everything, like they do in baseball, you know, how they take a pitcher off and on and put all different uh, ones on and so forth. And same with, uh, with American football, how guys are coming on and off the field. So that was a concept that was a very foreign concept. Uh, to us. So anyway, over the course of dinner, this American gentleman said, hey, there's this one guy, all he does is kick. When he goes out, he kicks, and then he comes to the sidelines. And we're like, uh, that was like, I'll say, very puzzling. And then the following day, uh, which was my third day in America, he got a, um, a hold of a couple of uh, footballs, because I was in. I was asking questions, well, what exactly does a football look like? And he was trying to describe it. So I got a hold of two footballs the following day. And this little town of Downing Towns is a small town. And it turns out the high school football field was not very far away. And that afternoon, I made my way to the high school football field with these two footballs. And I, I just started doing what I had done for so many thousands of hours as a kid with rugby balls in South Africa. I started, I'm out on the field by myself, and I started kicking these uh, two American footballs. I was just interested to see how they would go and so forth. Would they go like a soccer ball or a rugby ball? And I was kicking them between the goalposts. And, you know, American football goalposts. So quite similar, in fact, to rugby goalposts, similar width and so forth. Rugby goalposts are a lot higher, but uh, very similar. So I'm kicking these footballs and running down and getting them and just going back and forth. And after a little while of doing that, a gentleman came out on the field, and it was a very interesting uh, little uh, experience. He introduced himself as the high school football coach in that little town, and he said, hey, I've been watching you. Uh, for about 10 minutes from a distance, and I know all the kids in this small town, and I'm the high school football coach, and I've never seen a football go that far in my life. You know, who are you? He was trying to recruit me for his high school football team, and then I explained that I had just come from South Africa and, and, in fact, just finished high school, and I was very, very fortunate. That high school football uh, coach in that small town of Downingtown happened to be a personal friend of Dick Vermeil, who was the coach of the Philadelphia Eagles at the time, and he set it up for me the very following day, my fourth day in America, to go, it, this was the summertime of 1978, when we had just arrived from South Africa as a family. And he, this high school coach, set it up for me to go and have a tryout the following day uh, with the Philadelphia Eagles. I didn't even know what football was, what a football looked like, or anything about professional football at all. So... Uh, that, that was quite interesting. The following day, I went there along with my, my dad, and I was dressed in, uh, of course, soccer shorts and a T-shirt. <laughs> uh, so we uh, 
we went into, we were somehow ushered into Dick Vermeil's office, and, and you, I didn't understand any of this at the time. It was the summertime when the Eagles were in training camp, as all the NFL teams would have been. And um, uh, so my dad and I started chatting with Dick Vermeil, and it must have been over the sort of lunchtime period between, you know, how pro teams have double sessions during training camp and so forth. And so... I guess his friend, the high school football coach, had told him just a little bit about my story, so he, he kind of knew just, just a little bit, and he asked us a bunch of questions, and it was kind of at the time, I think, um, what transpired next, where a lot of the NFL teams, it was kind of a little bit in the infancy stage where all the various NFL teams had foreign soccer players for the most part as their kickers, and... So he took me out on the field, and I just remember a whole group of gentlemen standing behind me. And, of course, I didn't understand any of it, but it would have been the special teams coach. And, uh, you know, NFL teams have massive scouting staff. I believe it was a, a bunch of scouts and so forth. So they're all standing behind me, and they brought out a great big bag of these footballs that I'd only seen the day before for the first time. And I had ball boys for the first time in my life, I think. And uh, anyway, I was uh, the part that I didn't realize, uh, uh, without me knowing, um, Coach Vermeil had spread the word. There happened to be four university coaches there that day. And while I was out there kicking maybe for half an hour or 40 minutes or so, these four university coaches, and of course years later I, I grew to understand all of this, uh, university coaches come often to um, NFL teams uh, during that training camp period and spend a couple of days working with some of the NFL coaches and trying to learn more about the game of football. So uh, anyway, I had no idea this was going on. When I got done and went over to my dad, these four university coaches had figured out who my dad was, and all four of them had offered me scholarships to play this game of football that wow. we didn't even know anything about. And another funny thing I remember about that first experience, here I was in my soccer shorts and t-shirt, you know, kicking these footballs, and the ball boys are running them back, and then about that time, um, the players, the Eagles players, started to come down this hill onto the fields, I guess, to begin the afternoon practice. And I'd never even seen uh, uh, anyone in my life uh, dressed in a football uniform with shoulder pads and helmet and so forth. And I just saw these guys, so they were massive guys, you know, and Coach Vermeule, I remember this like it was yesterday. He said, oh, hey, Gary, one thing I forgot to tell you, when you're kicking the ball between... That those goalposts that like you've been doing the last half hour he, and he pointed to these guys he said about 11 of these guys will be coming at you, you know? <laughs> so that wow. threw a little different complexion on things but that was a very fortunate day in my in my life because I remember as I say when I got done and I went over to my dad and my dad introduced me to these four university coaches and Clearly what had happened, Coach Vermeil had told these university coaches, hey, I'm taking this young 18-year-old kid from Africa out on the field. Yeah, he's probably looking to go to university. He's not old enough to play professional football. And um, so 
are, I'll never forget the next thing that happened. I chatted with these coaches, and they had already made plans with my dad uh, when my dad and I flew around the country for the, and spent two or three days at each of those four universities. And when they left, I remember my dad turning to me, because, again, you got to remember, we knew nothing at all about this day. And my dad turned to me and he said, you know what was really strange? He said, three of those university coaches watched you kicking the whole time. But the fourth one just came over. The, he, he only saw you kick a few balls. And he also offered you one of these scholarship things that they're telling us could be worth way more than $100,000 in America to go to a major university for four years. And my dad said to me, he said, you know, I have no idea. But I think this is a pretty big game in America. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh. That, that's wow. how I got started with my football career. And um, uh, one of those coaches was a coach from Syracuse University. And about two weeks later, I signed a football scholarship at Syracuse. And we added a little extra addendum paragraph um, whereby the football coach would always have to allow me to play soccer as well. And uh, I actually kind of had the naive intention that I was going to go up to, to university and play this other crazy game when, that I ne- didn't know anything about when they needed me. And I was going to play the game I, I grew up loving so much, the game of soccer. But it never quite panned out that way. Wow. Well, so- what an awesome story. Uh, I mean, this is just great to hear this. It's so cool. Uh, I guess one just random questions kind of in my head here, Gary, is you're only there for three days in the States, and you finally get to see an American football. You're used to kicking the rugby football. On the fourth day, you're kicking, you know, with an NFL team, essentially doing a tryout for college coaches that you weren't aware of. Like, what kind of adjustments did you have to make on an American football compared to the rugby ball? Talk about the comparisons. You know, uh, really not too much. Um, You know, all of, um, you know, the way I would answer that, you know, I kicked a ball from when I was a tiny kid, a soccer ball. And um, I, you know, it it was very, very similar to kicking um, the rugby ball. The one big difference, of course, is in rugby, you get to, like, in high school rugby, for example, in South Africa, you just, uh, with your heel, you make a little indentation in the grass and stand the ball up. These days, like in, in professional rugby, a little ball boy kid runs out on the field and, you know, with a little pile of sand and you get to line the ball up. And the big difference between rugby and American football, in rugby, you don't have anyone rushing or snapping a hold. So... That was, I would, I would say, the actual kicking, mechanical part of kicking the ball was almost identical, but, you know, it would have taken me a little bit there at Syracuse to get used to this whole concept that I hadn't seen before, someone snapping the ball and, and the holder catching it and, and placing it. So, And actually, an interesting little side note, there's a very, very famous rugby player, one of South Africa's uh, most famous rugby players of all time uh, played fly half for South Africa, would have been one of the very top athletes in the world. And he came and um, had a tryout for the Dallas Cowboys a few years later when I was at the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I remember playing 
the Cowboys in a preseason match, and this guy, Nos Botha, uh, was, you know, uh, kicking for the Cowboys, but a lot of people in South Africa couldn't understand how come this famous rugby player never made it in the NFL, and I've never quite known how to explain that story other than the fact Nos never had the the privilege that I had to go to university and to, you know, have a little bit of time to get used to that whole concept of the snap and the hold, which he had never seen before. So he kind of got thrown in the deep end a little more than, than I did. Otherwise, uh, I'm quite sure he would have done just fine in the NFL had he been given a, a little chance to adjust to the snap and hold. Wow. So, Gary, uh, just a side question before I ask you a, a, another question about Syracuse. You had mentioned earlier that there were a lot of, like, international kickers coming into the league. Was that around the time? Wasn't Didn't Pele try out at one point uh, for the NFL, or, or did I, I hear that wrong? I don't know about that. It probably, if, if he did, I have not heard that story, and I've heard most stories. But, um, you know, it wasn't the very, very beginning. Like, I know they attribute two of the very first sort of soccer-style kickers were two brothers from Hungary called the Gogolak brothers, um, and they were before me, but I was just sort of making a general reference to, it was, uh, you know, it's, I've watched it change over the years, because back in, say, you know, the, the early 80s there, um, most of the NFL teams had guys like Morton Anderson and myself who were soccer players. Like Morton's story is somewhat similar to mine. He came over to America as a high school foreign exchange student from Denmark. And so, you know, his story would be similar to mine in that he also would have grown up like any soccer player kicking a ball all his life, even though we had never, ever seen an American football. So almost... All the kickers in the NFL back in those days had some sort of foreign soccer background because, you know, at the time, you know, American kids, um, you know, it's changed yeah, in the last 30 years dramatically where American kids back were not very good, I always say, at using their feet, right? Because they hadn't grown up as they do now playing soccer. So I just want to go back to Syracuse, and then obviously we want to talk about your NFL career. So did you really play soccer and football at the same time, or did you just end up focusing on, on football kicking at Syracuse? No, no, I, I, I did. I, I played both because, like I say, I actually had that in my football scholarship contract. But, of course, I was pretty naive, not, not knowing anything about football. But a couple things I learned very quickly. One was, like, it was totally different to what I had grown up. I had grown up playing soccer and rugby in front of some massive um, crowds and stadiums. I played at a pretty high level. But it was what was so kind of almost humorous uh, when I look back on it was like quite often now soccer games would be on Friday evening, you know, and we'd either go on a bus somewhere in upstate New York to play against a small college and there'd be maybe a couple thousand people watching the soccer match. And, and then I'd have to rush back and sometimes jump on a plane and fly to California or Florida or somewhere on a jet to play football, you know, wow. <laughs> in front of 80 or 100,000 people. And then, um, 
like my soccer players, my, my buddies on the soccer team used to always, hey, can, can you get us some cleats? Because they had seen my, my football locker and I, I could get as many pairs of fancy uh, Adidas cleats that I wore as I wanted and the soccer guys had to buy their own cleats. So I looked very different that in America they kind of had things backwards from what I was used to. <laughs> so uh, it didn't take me long to figure out, oh, I see which is really the important game here in America. That's awesome. Hey, Gary. Uh, and the part also that I didn't understand, uh, I would sometimes, I never quite, like at least my freshman year, understood why the, the football coach seemed to, you know, really have a lot of anxiety over this fact that I was playing in a soccer game um, on um, on Friday evening right before we're playing Penn State or the Ohio State the next day in football. And I used to try to tell him that because I was totally naive. I'm like, Coach, look. And, of course, I was 18 and really fit as a soccer player. I could run all day. I, I used to tell him in my... Uh, my non-understanding football terminology. I'm like, hey, coach, don't, don't worry, I'll be fine. I only have to do like three or four of those field goal things tomorrow. I I won't be tired. I'll be, I'll be just fine. <laughs> oh, my gosh. He, he had a much different perspective. He, this, this game against Penn State was very important to him, and he knew the, the points that I could potentially score could make the difference between a win or a loss. And, I, and it took me... Probably maybe my, in all seriousness, my freshman year to start to gradually understand how uh, even though I didn't like football at first, just my initial uh, reaction because I'd never played a game where I wasn't out on the field the whole time, you know. So I thought, geez, this is a little bit of a joke where you just go out there a few few times and kick a few of these field goal things. I wanted to be out there running, running around like I had done my, my whole life. So it took me about a year to, to I think, probably for me what, find, what made the difference as I started to learn the rules. And, and I think I... The way I justified it in my mind, even though I wasn't on the field the whole time, uh, I, I realized pretty quickly that I could have a dramatic outcome on the um, on the outcome of the games. You know, because my main job was to score points, which is the whole idea of football, right? <laughs> so, yeah. So, hey, Gary. So, um, before we get to the NFL career, let's talk about Syracuse and your college ball. Like, what were some of the big stadiums that you played in that? that you enjoyed, or what were some fantastic memories that you had playing college football? Oh, yeah, just those early memories, you know, um, uh, that was so, if you can just, I know I used to do a lot of public speaking uh, years later in my early, uh, in my career in Pittsburgh and so forth, and Americans just really had a tough time getting their head around this it's almost incomprehensible to Americans to like to be able to put themselves in my shoes, being a you know a, a, a foreign kid from South Africa, not understanding anything about this this game at all. You know? <laughs> so just, I think uh, what was exciting for me was just uh, I'm sure this whole idea of learning a new game, and you know we used to uh, play. Um, 
Oh, I'd say, you know, for, for the most part, you know how these big college stadiums are, um, many of them are bigger than the NFL stadiums, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah, that was a, a lot of fun, you know, uh, playing uh, football and learning a new new game. And also, uh, I, I ended up actually, in all seriousness, gradually playing less and less soccer over my four-year career at Syracuse. And I think a part of what happened, even though I, I, I did say I, I actually had it in writing that the coach would have to allow me to play, I started to gradually enjoy the game of football and really grew to love it quite quickly, and I actually sort of started to lose interest in soccer, mostly because it wasn't quite the standard that I had grown up playing. So I think it was those two things that probably, you know, by the time I was at a junior and that I, I even myself I was more more focused and having more fun uh, playing football so it had kind of changed for me you know it's interesting Gary that you mentioned that uh, a lot of the kids that Brian and I train and I I know I see it a lot here in Minnesota uh, you know probably 80 percent of the kids we train are soccer players that that want to try out kicking and almost by their senior year they fall more in love with kicking and I don't know what it is, if it's the strive for perfection or to try to, you know, you, you max out at a 40-yard field goal and then you try to get to 45 and then you try to get to 50. I don't know, I don't know what it is, but there, there's, there's a trend of soccer guys just falling in love with the aspect of kicking a field goal. You know, or kicking a football. Yeah. I, I don't know what it is. Yeah, no, I, I totally understand that. You know, years ago, I don't do as much of that anymore, but I used to coach a lot of guys, and I always used to just make a general statement. I can take any good soccer player and make him a pretty good field goal kicker, but I used to have some parents wanting to pay me a lot of money to make their little Johnnies a field goal kicker. One of them was a funny story was the, the owner years, many years later of the Minnesota Vikings, Red McCombs, and he, he had a nephew who all the players used to call Little Red because he had bright red hair and uh, Red would uh, jet up from Texas on Friday afternoons to uh, Minneapolis, you know, because he owned the Vikings. And he'd be at our practice on Friday and then on our walkthrough practice on Saturday, say, before home game. And all the players knew that Red was trying to have me make his little grandson into a kicker. <laughs> they were laughing. They are like, hey, you're good, but you're not that doggone good because he is useless. <laughs> oh, yeah. So anyway, you know, you can it's... Uh, that was a, a a little tough challenge, I would say. Sure. So, as you got through your your Syracuse career, you know, when did you realize that maybe you had a chance for the NFL? You know, we we saw that you got you you got drafted uh, by the Bills in the in, I think it was the seventh round. When did it kind of click for you that maybe you had a chance to play at a bigger level? I think I had this idea. Uh, from that very first day where I told you this story, because one of the things Coach Vermeil had left me with, uh, uh, you know, when he explained to me that I wasn't old enough to play professional football and explained to me how you have to go to university for four years in America before, he said, but let me tell you something, he said, I promise you I've never seen anyone kick a ball you will be playing on a, a professional NFL team in four years from now. So he was the first guy who put that idea in my head. Nice. 
Jeez. So you get drafted by the Bills, and, and what was that like, Gary? Yeah, it was interesting in that, you know, growing uh, or spending four years at Syracuse there, Buffalo was kind of almost the, the local uh, pro team, but looking back on it, you know, it was it's kind of always easy to look back on situations and, uh, you know, I, I'm thankful that uh, I ended up in Pittsburgh because, you know, I, I, I'm not sure that that wouldn't have never been the most fun place to kick in the old rich stadium in Buffalo. <laughs> wow. So did you end up winning a few Super Bowls with the Steelers or was that after the fact? No, I, I actually, I, I kind of kid, but it's actually I'm quite serious. I had bad timing relative, uh, you know, they, there's an expression about life that goes, life is all about timing, and I had bad timing because my rookie year was in 1982, and the Steelers had, you know, had that, that amazing team in the 70s, and the last of their fourth Super Bowl that they won in that decade was in 1980. So just but my rookie year was two years later, um, so I was in in the wrong decade, un, unfortunately. Um, but so all of my teammates there when I started playing in Pittsburgh. In fact, I would say that was one of the great thrills of my career when I w- walked in that locker room as a young twenty-two year old guy, just uh, fresh out from university at Syracuse and. My locker was right between uh, Terry Bradshaw and Franco Harris, you know, and I, that was really one of the great thrills of my career. Um, you know, there's not many people who could say, you know, at the time that was. I remember actually coming home for Christmas my senior year, and at that point, you know, I was having a, a lot of communication with uh, many or most of the NFL teams, and it looked like, you know, I was going to certainly be given an opportunity to play professional football. And I remember over Christmas dinner, my dad asking me at the dinner table, he said, so I know you, you don't have a choice as to which team you end up on, but which team would you like to be on if you did have a choice? And without hesitation, I said to him, I'd love to play for the Pittsburgh Steelers because, of course, while I was in university and learning this game, I was watching the Pittsburgh Steelers winning Super Bowls. And so it was an amazing thrill as a, a young guy to end up being in that Steeler locker room, which is one of the great teams in American sports history. And, um, I believe 10 or 11 of those teammates of mine uh, when I was a rookie are, are Hall of Famers now. So, hey, so Gary, here's, here's a good question for you. Um, you know, I'm 33 years old, so when, and I'm from Alabama, so when I got into kicking a football, I, I did the same thing, played soccer all my life, and then was told, was asked to kick when I was 13. And then once I started looking at, like, college football and NFL, I was kind of the same way. I really wasn't a big fan of football, but I was really like kicking. But I did um, start. I did. I did like to watch the Vikings because there's something about the dome and the purple uniforms. And then I would see this kicker with like one bar on his face mask. And what? But that that wasn't the thing that stuck out to me. Was the biggest thing was is how you did your steps. You kind of just instead of taking like where you see three and two or whatnot, you kind of just found your spot. 
talk about like your form and, and like your 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 step progression and, and where you where your angle is and all that. Yeah, sure. Well, and before I get to that, you know, that single face mask was a funny story too because the NFL at some point there toward the end of my career, they outlawed those uh, single uh, face masks. In fact, my face mask was just made out of plastic. <laughs> a couple of times during my career, we arrive at some stadium, say in Dallas or somewhere, and the equipment manager would open up my bag to put, start putting my equipment in my locker, and he'd tell me the next day, he said, hey, I opened your bag yesterday to, you know, get get everything ready for the game, and your your face mask was broken. <laughs> it broke on the flight. <laughs> you know? and he always carried a few extra ones, so... Anyway, I was the only the last player that the NFL kind of grandfathered in and let allowed me to carry on wearing that single face mask. So that, that was the story behind that. But awesome. Anyway, just uh, as far as my form and that goes, um, I think that the best way I know to explain that, I often, when I used to do a lot of kicking coaching of college and high school guys, I often use quite a number of different golf analogies, and the greatest golfers in history, if you put them on a spectrum, and the spectrum that I like to put them on is on the one end is natural, and on the the other, the very far end of that spectrum is mechanical, and I, I, don't, I, I don't want to come across like one's better than the other, because even if we just stick on the subject of golf, there have been at times in history, like uh, the great British golfer Nick Faldo is one of the most mechanical golfers of all time, and at one point he was the best golfer in the world, whereas many other golfers would be all the way on the natural end of, of the spectrum, as was Tiger Woods when he first came out of Stanford University when he used to kill everyone, and then Tiger became all mechanical during his career, <laughs> he ended up uh, not being as good as he was when he was natural. So, uh, you know, my thing, my mind um, just gets back to really what I've explained to you guys already. It's just my whole history of uh, being a soccer player and uh, kicking a rugby ball. No one on the planet had probably kicked more balls than, than I had, and so it was just I did what what I had done my whole life. I, I I could stand anywhere and kick the ball through the goalpost because as a soccer player I could adjust. Whereas what you're getting at, you know, most now sort of American field goal kickers that kind of are more toward that mechanical end of the spectrum where they, you know, mark their steps back and and mark their steps over and, and so forth. And like I say, you know, I, I don't pretend to say one's better than the other. I just, you know, from my background, that's what worked for me. And if I could even explain that further, like, for example, I never, ever watched film uh, of me kicking because I knew uh, very consciously what my strength was. And, and that was just being totally natural uh, and... Um, so I did not want to study film and, you know, have a thousand thoughts in my head when I was out there on the field. And I, I'd had many NFL kickers call me over the years 
and basically asked me, how come you never have a slump or you never have a bad season? Or And, and I think uh, probably quite often I, I, I really wouldn't be sure exactly how to answer that, but I think it was because my strength was um, uh, just being natural. You know, if I missed a kick, which we all do, you know, um, I understood it was very important for me not to go and study that game film for uh, for hours and and you know get a whole bunch of thoughts in in my head. I, I tried to do opposite from that and just um, understand what my strength was and uh, just try to be confident um, when when I went out there on the field and uh, and making a. a smooth, aggressive stroke uh, through the ball. And I need to keep it about as simple as that. That's great. Um, so I guess, you know, I, I mean, you played for 23 years, right? Yes. What, um, I mean, I guess, what are some of your memories of playing over the years? I'm just, I mean, you, you've had a lot of games, a lot of experiences. What, what kind of stands out as you just think about your career? <laughs> it's got to be a lot. That's probably a very tough question for me to answer. You know, 23 years is a long time, and I was really fortunate uh, uh, to, to be blessed to play for a long time. Uh, I was blessed with great health, and I also would attribute that to what I was just talking about. That was another thing a lot of my NFL buddies would ask me was, how come you never get hurt, you know? And again, I would say it was just be, because, um, you know, I... I was just very natural um, uh, the way I kicked the ball. So I wasn't ever putting, you know, I read a story once about the great baseball pitcher Nolan Ryan, and they say he, the reason he could pitch 100 miles an hour into his 40s was because he had the purest mechanics that any baseball pitcher has ever had. In other words, he put less stress on uh, on the critical parts of his body, in my case, would a kicker, you know, so, anyway, uh, so, oh, as far as some of the maybe highlights of my career or things that I remember the most, boy, that's, that's really tough. I mean, I mentioned certainly one of them, it was really ex- exciting as a young guy um, to uh, be on that great Steeler team. I remember my first, uh, I was very fortunate early in my career, you know, you see players in all sports, you know, I I got off to a very good start. My first game, we, because back in those days, they still kind of do it now. The first Monday night game of the season is usually the two best teams from the year before. And back in those days, uh, my rookie year, it was the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Dallas Cowboys. So we're playing Dallas on Monday night football. And maybe before your guys' time, but the famous commentator before John Madden was Howard Cosell. And... Uh, anyway, uh, my very first field goal actually got blocked by two tall Jones, you know, I kicked that, I heard that dreaded second thud, and I looked up, and, and you know, I don't know, he, how he was like seven feet tall, and immediately, I was like, oh boy, I gotta kick a little higher, these guys are big, you know? <laughs> Anyway, I was fortunate that I think I kicked three or four field goals, three of them in the fourth Quarter and we won the game in a very exciting, I forget exactly, it was something like 35-33 or something. And Howard Cosell told the, uh, America that night, he, was, he said, I was on the field with this young 
kid from South Africa, and he said, I've never seen anyone kick a, a football like he can kick a football. So uh, I was very fortunate, you know, uh, to get off to a start in my career like that. And he, 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 said, he said he's going to be playing this game for a long time and set a lot of records. So. Yeah, so Gary, as you're, as you're watching, uh, you know, kickers over the, the last several years, you know, after after you retire, you know, what what have you seen that's changed or or revolutionized or what's what's different? You know, uh, that you can elaborate on with with kicking. Yeah, that's an excellent question. The one thing that changed dramatically during my career and has continued to change um, is. Um, you, you know, if the game has become more and more specialized, and by that I mean, like back, I'll give you this good example. Early in my career, um, in fact, I think the first 10 years of my career in Pittsburgh, I had the great Hall of Fame stealer uh, who that, you know, very sad Hollywood movie, Concussion, was made a few years ago, Mike Webster, who that whole movie is based on, Mike snapped every ball back to me for the first 10 years of my, my career in Pittsburgh. And, you know, Mike, and that has changed uh, so much where every, um, during my 23-year career, it gradually started to become that change where every team started to get a guy on the roster who was just a specialist snapper. Like one time, I, I remember this very vividly, certain things, you know, uh, stories that happened, I, I can remember them like they were yesterday. We were playing a game in San Diego, and I'm out there kicking a field goal, and Mike um, snapped quite a high snapback, and we come off the field, and the holder says to me, hey, should I go tell Mike that that was a crappy high snap? I said, you go tell him. I'm not going to tell him. <laughs> wow. So, anyway, in that that's the biggest change, and um, you know, and because of that, um, the whole aspect of field goal kicking. Like I remember early in my career, um, you know, it, I, I mean, I'll, this is maybe a little dramatic statement, but I think there's a lot of truth to it. If you kicked. Um, uh, like Morton and I were two of some of the very first field goal kickers who kicked field goals at 80% or above, and you were virtually the pro bowl kicker, and it's changed so dramatically in the last, you know, whatever, 30 years or so, that it, it's got to the point, if you, if you don't make 80% of your field goals these days, you're in danger of losing your job, and and that I don't think is so much because necessarily the kickers have got better, but it's the whole emphasis on having one guy on the roster whose job is to snap the ball, and hey, that these guys can absolutely. So I enjoyed that maybe the second half of my career where teams all had special specialist snappers and like. For example, you know, 98 in Minnesota, Mike Morris was our, our snapper there and was a phenomenal snapper. He could blindfold it, snap that ball back perfectly into Mitch Berger's hands, you know, nine out of ten times when Mitch didn't even have to spin it. He could just catch it and put it down. And early in my career, I tell you, 
Mike Webster was much more worried about who he was blocking on running and pass plays than how, what kind of snap he threw back on a field goal. <laughs> so that's the biggest uh, area that, um, you know, with that whole much, much, much greater emphasis on the whole special teams. In fact, yeah, another good illustration, which people would be amazed to hear, in my early years in Pittsburgh, the great four-time Super Bowl champion coach of the Steelers, he was the special teams coach as well, and we wouldn't even have any meetings at all during the week until Saturday morning. We'd have one quick meeting, cover all the special teams, and go out and walk through them. And that's how the Pittsburgh Steelers won four Super Bowls doing that. And that seems like uh, such a distant memory from now, you know, the emphasis that is placed all during the week on um you know, the various aspects of special teams where, you know, there's significant time given to meetings and every team has at least one, if not a, uh, one special teams coach and even a couple of assistants. So that's a, a, a really dramatic change in uh, NFL football in the last uh, 25, 30 years or so. Wow. So, Gary, you know, what's incredible here as you just, as I, as I look at your career statistics, you only missed seven PATs in 23 years. What, I mean, that's incredible. How, what was kind of like the mental focus like for you as you kicked? Because that's an incredible statistic. You know, you had a, a 80% conversion rate, which is fantastic over your, your career. And obviously right now we know that you almost need like 90% or better. But like, how did you, what, what, what attributed to that accuracy and in, in your mental focus and everything? You know, I, a lot of it has to do with just what I already explained to you guys, my whole background. One of the things, um, let's just talk about the mental focus because we haven't talked about that because that's a critical part, obviously, of uh, any successful field goal kicker. And um, before I tell you mine, I, I, I heard a very interesting one, which is a great example. You know, the first Hall of Fame field goal kicker, a pure field goal kicker, was Jan Stenerud, who's was from Norway, and I, Jan is a friend of mine, and our careers overlapped a little bit, he was before me, but I heard Jan answer that question one time in a very simple way, he said, hey, I grew up as a downhill skier in Norway, and when you're a downhill skier, you're going down the mountain close to 100 miles an hour, and you can't be looking around, joking around, because you may die. <laughs> you know? And I thought, hey, that's, a, that's really good. So he, he, he made the point that's how he learned his great mental concentration. For me, it was different than that, but, but similar. Um, one of the games I mentioned earlier that is a, a great game in South Africa and many countries around the world that Americans know very little about is the game of cricket. And um, cricket, to people who don't know the game of cricket, can appear to be a very long, drawn-out, boring game. Like, for example, an international cricket match lasts five days, and a high school cricket match lasts all day on a Saturday. And I used to be the opening batsman in cricket and from when I was a young boy, and I hated, I absolutely hated making a mental mistake and like, like you do in baseball, hit the ball in the air and someone catching you and you're out. But then you got to sit on the sidelines sometimes for hours while your other buddies are batting, you know. 
And I hated that, and it was for me, I, often people ask me that question you just asked about my mental focus, and I, I do believe the game of cricket taught me uh, a lot of, of how to really, uh, really focus. Hey, Gary, how did you like the ball held? Were you like a straight up and down pure guy, or did you have any tilts? You know, I, a lot of that is, is I found it self-preference. You know, when I was a kid growing up and you stand the rugby ball up, I just stood it straight up and down. Um, you know, the whole key to that is um, obviously at the NFL level, when you have a, if you have a good snapper and a good holder, is to be able to put it down smoothly and, and consistently is, is the key. And, you know, and different kickers like it slightly different. So I, I liked it just with a very slight lean. Um, um, away from me, actually a little bit forward, which is, I'd say, somewhat unusual because uh, I never had any trouble from being a soccer player getting elevation on the ball. So I uh, went slightly forward and um, um, a little bit leaning to the right, ever so slightly toward the holder. So, yeah, this is great. I, and I love hearing these stories here. So, Gary, I guess... You kind of referenced it earlier with some of your time with the Steelers. You know, do you have any favorite teammates from the from the years, and and then do you still stay in touch with them these days? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. But you know, these days, with part of my whole retirement plans, where I live up in this most beautiful part, maybe on the whole planet, here yeah, up in the Canadian Rocky Mountains. Uh, I still get invited to lots of different functions and so forth, charity golf events and team functions. I just turned one down, I think, last weekend. The Titans had an, uh, whatever you call it, I don't even pay much attention to that anymore, uh, an alumni weekend or something along those lines. And um, uh, I, I ended up not, but I don't go to many of those things anymore. It's just too far away for me to to travel, and I kind of feel like, hey, I've, uh, I, I used to do so many of those things. For me, football um, always was, um, it was never the most important thing in my life. You know, it's what I did. It's the, the talent I believe God gave me as a, as a young kid, and I enjoyed every minute of it, but it was never my identity, uh, you know, as to what makes me a person or anything. I, I had a, always, I think, a very unique perspective, and I managed to keep that perspective throughout my entire career. I was like, wow, I can't believe that, um, you, you know, that the, I'm a kid from Africa who loves to kick a ball, and they actually want to pay me to do this. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of my simple perspective, but yeah, as field goal kickers, we um, we spent a lot of time, obviously, uh, with punters, you know, we're usually roommates on the road, so some of the punters that I've grown up uh, playing with in the NFL are, are great friends of mine today. One I was just chatting with the other day is, um, is before your time, where he was the when I was a rookie in Pittsburgh, Craig Colquitt, um, and, you know, you guys would know his two sons uh, are both punters in the NFL today. Yeah. And, uh, so that's a, Craig is a super guy, and that's kind of a cool story where he's got two, two sons as uh, pros, and 
Another great friend of mine who I believe was one of the greatest punters of all time was um, was Craig Hendrick, who used to play for the Packers, and then him and I played together um, in Tennessee at the very end of my career. And, mm-hmm. uh, Craig's a golfing buddy of mine, and uh, he's been up you know, to Canada where I live in the mountains, fishing and so forth. But, uh, yeah. Hey, Gary, do you still um, connect with uh, NFL coaches and personnel, or are you still staying in touch with those folks that are still coaching? Uh, you know, not, not so much. I used to, but, you know, it changes a lot. It's incredible. Like, I used to, like, at the end of my career there in uh, Tennessee, I, I was very friendly with Jeff Fisher. And, you know, I mean, hey, the turnover in the NFL is so huge. And for a number of years, my wife and I, up in this little town in the Canadian Rocky Mountains, mountains where we retired we used to have a charity golf event where we raised money for the school athletic programs and we used to auction off a trip to a titans game and i I, um kay and i would usually go with the people who bought the trip you know we'd go to nashville for the weekend and of course i'd i'd go down there and jeff fisher was still you know uh, the coach and i knew everyone and you know coaches change quickly in the nfl and and it, it changes so dramatically, you know. In terms of coaching here, Gary, who had the biggest impact in your life, either special teams coaches or head coaches that you really just developed a connection with? Yeah, you know, I, w- I would certainly say the great Steeler coach, uh, Chuck Knoll, because he was actually probably a more modern-day coach, actually, would be Tony Dungy, who would be very similar. And, of course, Tony Dungy learned from Chuck Knoll because Tony Dungy was a young defensive assistant in Pittsburgh when I started playing for the Steelers. And Tony had actually played a couple of years, I believe, for the Steelers. Um, but Tony learned from Chuck Knoll, and they're very similar personalities. And uh, that, you know, I mean, there's all different styles of coaching and so forth. And um, Chuck Knoll, I used to, people would be amazed. I've never, ever heard, I, I played for Chuck Knoll, I think, for the first 10 years of my career. I never heard him raise his voice once. You know, all the people were like, oh, what did he say at halftime? Like, you know, he, like he was running around the locker room chucking stuff at people. <laughs> you know, he... Uh, so he was just a kind of more along the lines of maybe a Bill Walsh, like just a guy who was super intelligent, uh, just like Tony Dungy. And, um, you know, I, that really was uh, the perfect kind of coach for me. Like after the season is over, whenever that, and I was fortunate to always be on, for the most part, on pretty good teams. And so... Uh, we'd be in the playoffs, and whenever that dreaded day came where the season was over and the players all have, and this happens on every NFL team, you have to kind of have a, your individual meeting with the head coach and the players would be lined in the, up in the corridor. And I'd go in there, and I'd have the quickest meeting <laughs> ever. The players would laugh, and I'd come out and be like, Wow. And old Chuck Noll used to tell me something along the lines of, hey, great job. I'll see you in July at training camp. <laughs> I was out of there. Wow. I was thinking about where I was playing golf next. You know? Oh, my God. So, you know, and, and Tony Dungy's a very good friend of mine who was a, a similar type of, of coach, you know. And 
you know, there's other kind of coaches, obviously more along the lines of uh, the Vince Lombardi school of sort sort of army general type coaches, right? <laughs> hey, so so Gary, great interview so far. I know we kept you a good while here, but um, so kickoffs. Uh, how long did you do them for, and, and did you still have the same kind of steps and kickoffs? Uh, sorry, I didn't quite hear you there. How long did I kick off for? So, so the question was, uh, so like, how many years did you kick off in the league, and what was your alignment, what was your steps on kickoffs? Oh, again, I did that uh, very naturally, the step part. So I used to just walk back and uh, kind of eyeball the the ball and go with that. You know, I never did any kind of steps. I always, you know, just naturally adjust by the time I got to the ball. I was in the right position. How many, uh, yards, how many yards back do you think you were? Yeah, probably about seven, I, I would say, somewhere in that area. And... Um, and I kicked off my whole career other than, you know, just like you see a guy like Adam Benatiri now, you know, when, when you get up in your 40s there, it's a lot nicer to have some young stud punter who can kick off and you, you can save your leg for those important field goals. So I think um, only, you know, when I was at the end of my career there um, for a few years, Mitch Berger used to kick off in um, uh in Minnesota, and then when I was in Nashville, Craig Hendrick uh, used to kick off. So, I mean, 18, 19 years, whatever, and then, you know, college, over 20 yeah. years. Yeah. I mean, how many balls do you think you kicked in, in 25 years? Oh, I have no idea. Not nearly as many as when I was a kid growing up in South Africa, I can tell you. Did you ever have any major, like, groin injuries or hip flexor injuries during your career? Um, no, I was very, very fortunate. I never, ever missed a game. Um, never uh, had any major um, injuries. A couple minor ones. I remember slipping one time just on a kickoff, I think, in Baltimore and kind of just twisting my ankle, but wasn't even, um, I think I missed a couple of days of practice, uh, you know, uh, a, few, a few minor uh, things, you know, one time in Philadelphia, I caught too many fish in the Delaware Bay on my off day on a Tuesday, and kind of threw my back out, and we were playing, the only game they care about was that game last night I was watching on TV, the Eagles and the Cowboys, we were playing the Cowboys in Dallas that Sunday, and I was kind of drugged up so much so that I was struggling to read those Cowboy Hall of Fame uh, names around the stadium in big writing. They were kind of blurry to me. <laughs> oh my so, Gary, you know, you mentioned Adam Vinatieri. Uh, back in 2000, you were fortunate, fortunate enough to earn the all-time scoring record. I, you know, before we talk about Adam, I'm curious, what was it like at your time back then to be pursuing the all-time scoring record and, and how did you think about it and um, you know just what was the mentality at that point? Yeah I, I don't think that was really anything I gave great thought to because it was really just um, you, you know an accumulation obviously of playing for a long time and obviously when it got got much closer then the media started making a big uh, big deal about it, and I do just recall, like you know, a couple of weeks ago, where we saw 
Drew Brees to his, you know, uh, old time, you know, and his family was up there on the sidelines. And in Minnesota, they stopped the game. And my two sons, who were, you know, young boys at the time, they brought them out on the field just like they kind of did with Drew Brees' sons. And that kind of just the other day when I saw Drew Brees, that made me think of that. So that was certainly a very special memory and something, you know, that um, uh, was very, very special to, you know, be uh, to play the game long enough to score more points than anyone else in history. That was kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, so 2000, you, you earned it. And then, um, you know, obviously there's a lot of hoopla with it. And then you said a, a friend of yours, Morton Anderson, passed you six years later. What was that like? Just Did you I kind think, of talk yeah, about it? I think Morton came out of retirement and and then he passed uh, my record and became the all-time leading scorer and then you know just a few weeks ago we watched Adam Vinatieri pass both of us you know? uh, so so what's it like I mean do you so you, so you've been retired for a bit um you know, do you do you follow NFL football a lot or CFL or do you follow the kickers yeah, these days? I, I watch it, uh, you know, quite um, uh, quite a lot. Um, NFL football. I have to be actually. I'll say this quietly. I have to be very careful in Canada because I, I have to be very politically correct how I answer that question because <laughs> uh, honestly, I've never really gained any great affection for the CFL. So when people ask me that question, I have to be very uh, careful how I answer it and not slam the, the CFL. But uh, I don't really watch the, even though uh, my son played Canadian college football, um, you know, I, I, I don't have, I don't follow the CFL at all. You know. Yeah. Okay, so one question we ask all our interviewees, Gary, is, uh, Name the top five stadiums you played in in the NFL. Your favorite. Oh, oh, for me, well, I can answer that question very uh, easily because I always was kind of knowing throughout the NFL, especially amongst general managers and so forth, as the guy who could kick in any conditions. And I had played in uh, places like Pittsburgh and then Philadelphia and San Francisco and the old Candlestick Park, which was a really difficult place to kick. And I remember somewhere later in my career, I was actually over at the Pro Bowl when my agent, Lee Steinberg, called me. And I just finished playing in uh, San Francisco. And he said to me, he said, and this was right at the time where NFL players had just sort of got free agency for the, um, you know, for just a couple of years. And he said, hey, um, I got a phone call uh, from the Minnesota Vikings. They're very interested in signing you. What would you think about that? And I said, hey, I've been competing with Morton Anderson. They judge all of us on an even playing scale. And I look every April when they come out with the NFL schedule to see if I have two dome games out of 16. And these other guys who've been kicking in these dome stadiums their whole life, they get 10 out of 16 in a dome stadium. And to compare kickers on a on an even scale is very unjust because as anyone who knows anything about kicking, it's just like golf. Conditions are everything. And... 
I remember I used to have fun with Kevin Butler in Chicago, back when Chicago was good, and we used to play them a lot. Mike Ditka was their coach, and I'd see him yelling at Kevin Butler. Uh, I used to tell kid Kevin, say, hey, just so you know, I think you're pretty good, even though your coach, Mike Ditka, thinks you suck. You know, a place like Chicago is one of the hardest places in the NFL to get. So anyway, so, so when Lee Steinberg asked me that question, I said, hey, I'd play for free in a dome stadium. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. So, so I, uh, the way I'd answer that, uh, however many dome stadiums, they're, they're the best friend of any field goal kicker. Ah, nice. So all dome stadiums would be my favorite stadiums. Well, okay. So, so Gary, I got I got two left here. Um, my first is I just I'm curious since you follow you still follow the NFL and and, and probably keep an eye on the kickers. Are there any Kickers you like to watch, you think are good, or maybe even like young kickers that you think have a good, promising career ahead of them? Yeah, you know, I, I, I will first say, you know, I, I do watch it quite a bit, but I don't follow it super closely. But, you know, knowing so much about kicking, um, I can just tell watching the guy kick one ball if they know what they're doing. And I, one thing I can promise you guys right now you know, the Chicago Bears let Robbie Gould go a couple of years ago because he was making too much money, which happened to me and all other good kickers at some point in, in their career. And I just saw him now kicking fantastic tonight, right, before I saw in um, in San Francisco, which is not an easy place to kick, as I said. And the Chicago Bears would pay a fortune to get Robbie Gould back on their team right now because for the first time in years Chicago has a really good team and uh, they don't have a very good kicker right now so uh, you know so uh, Robbie Gould is one guy who is a very um, you know I can tell he can blindfold and kick that ball right down the middle most of the time Uh, uh, that uh, oh that that young guy who kicks for the Rams, uh, Zerline, uh, is a, a really great kicker. Um, the Patriots kicker is fantastic, and that's also not an easy place to, to kick in New England. Um, uh, those are just a, a few uh, come to mind. Um, uh, Baltimore's kicker there has, has been good for oh, a Tucker, long yeah. time. Oh, yeah, um, Tucker, yeah. Yeah, Tucker. Yeah, those are just a, a few that come to mind. Nice. Well, Gary, I, because I'm a in Minnesota, I, you know, I want to ask you about your experience with the Vikings. What was it like? You know, you know, this is the hometown for me, and then obviously, I just want to ask you about the perfect season and what that was like for you, and and you know, your thoughts on how it all how finished as well, if you're willing to talk about that. So yeah, that I mean, you know, we talked just kind of referred earlier, like. Um, you know, that was my first year kicking in, in a dome stadium. I played, I don't know how many years prior to that. So, you know, having, I mean, that was pretty, I, and there was something I never even kept track of, um, you know. But toward the end of the season there, the media was starting to make a big deal of this because, you know, not only in 98, the uh, Vikings were very good. I think our offense actually broke 
you know, touchdown records and, and so forth. So it's, it's, it's kind of easy to not miss any kicks if you're not attempting any kicks, right? So sure. I was, I was kicking a lot, right? Because we had one of the best offenses that, you know, maybe with about four games to go in the season was when the media started making a, a, a big deal about the fact that no one had ever gone through a season and not missed a kick. And then I remember, I think it was maybe the either the second or third game from the end of this year, we went to play in Baltimore. And it was pouring with rain in the pregame warm-up. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, man, this is not the field was muddy and just nasty. And you guys know about kicking and one of the most important things is having good footing. And that's why in a dome you always have good footing. And um, anyway, I was thinking to myself, geez, I hope I don't have to kick any field goals. And if I do, I hope they're not too far. And lo and behold, I had to kick six that day. Jeez. <laughs> I was fortunate to make, make them all. But anyway, I mean, that, that's... That was exciting, and it just sort of became a big deal toward the end of the season, you know, how the media gets about that, you know. So. Well, hey, Gary, uh, we've just thoroughly enjoyed this opportunity to speak with you. Um, it's been an honor to have you on the 4th Down Experience podcast, and having other NFL specialists on this podcast will probably turn this back on to hear you because you're one of those legends that, that we all looked up to. And uh, we really appreciate you taking your time to talk to us and hearing some awesome life stories and even some, some really nice tips. All right. Thanks so much, Brian and Chris. It was great chatting with you guys and all the best with what you're doing there with your uh, coaching and uh, with your special teams orientation. And uh, I hope you develop some uh, fine young kickers. Yeah, thank you. Uh, it's a, it's definitely a passion of ours, and we've we've loved it so far. And molding young men and teaching them life lessons as well. And Gary, this yeah. I'll, I'll just say this is a, a truly an honor. Uh, way back, fifteen ish, eighteen years ago, it was an honor to get the chance to meet you all and and get the get an opportunity to have a lesson with you and lunch with you after. And uh, it's kind of come full circle, and I've really enjoyed this. So thank you for your time. Yeah, you're, you're quite welcome. Take care. Yep, thank you. Have a great day. Yeah, great evening. Okay. Bye-bye, guys. All right. All right, bye. Wow. That's all I could say. How do you feel, man, talking to your idol? I'm in heaven if you want to say it like that. I'm in football kicking heaven. That was that was awesome. I mean... Yeah, he had so many cool stories. He was hilarious. Ah, uh, yeah, the, the stories, the experiences, just the insight... I love it, and and just to see that he, you know, kept up with it. I mean, he has been out of the game for fourteen years now, or thirteen years, and you know, just to get his take on how it's changed, and you know, guys, he still watches and how he can critique them. It man, that was awesome. It was awesome. Yeah, it was really cool just to kind of get to know him a little bit on the phone. Uh, good long talk. Uh, I was entertained. I mean, an hour and fifteen minutes goes by real quick when you're hearing such good you know, memories that he's talking about and he really enjoyed himself and it was really cool to to listen to someone that's been a legend in, in our field and in our position. Oh, yeah, it, it sure was. You know, and I'm sure, you know, our listeners and, and our Minnesota fans that are probably listening to this, you know, they're going to ask why we didn't ask the question about the big miss, you know, and all that stuff. But, I, you know, 
the interview just flowed. And I, you know, and actually I recall back in 2000 was when I had the lesson with him and we went out for lunch and I, and I asked him and I, and I think he still said that you, sometimes you just, he just didn't know. He thought the hold was perfect. His, his swing was good. And, and obviously I'm speaking for him, but I just, I, I sort of recall that from it. But, um, you know, we may never know. I mean, sometimes people just miss, but it was, it was so much fun to be able to talk to him and reconnect and just, just talk to him about his career, man. I, I'm, I'm speechless, even though I'm talking a lot, you know, I just, it was awesome. Yeah, no doubt. We hope you guys enjoyed that. You know, a lot of you that are listening, especially if you're younger and you're in high school, uh, when you go to YouTube and search Gary Anderson kicker, you may only see clips of, of a missed kick that he had, but guys, he, he's a legend, man. He kicked over 20 years and, um, he was the all time scoring leader for a while there. Um, so he's, we just, we just spoke with a legend. You guys are listening to a podcast that has a legend and, and what I really liked technique wise for you guys that you could take is just be natural. You know, yeah, it is good to have the steps back and over, but one thing you can take from him for kicking so long in the league is, is he, he liked to have like a natural swing and a natural angle at the ball on his field goals and his kickoffs. So. A couple little nuggets there that you guys can take back. So we really appreciate you guys listening to the podcast here and subscribing to us. Yeah, and I, you know, I just want to do a little plug for what Gary does now. Uh, Gary lives in Canmore, Canada. Um, he runs a, a fly fishing business called, and if you want to look him up on online, it's called GaryAndersonPerfectSeason.com. But he, um, if I if I, if I understand it correctly, he he runs like fly fishing expeditions. And things like that, and and he claims that the area where he lives is one of the one of the most beautiful spots in the world he's ever been to, and, and obviously he currently lives there. So anybody big into fishing that may want to travel to Canada, you know, look it up, uh, GaryAndersonPerfectSeason.com, and you know, I think you could hire him for a, a fishing expedition as well. So guys, this was this was glorious for me. This was awesome, and Brian, I think you know you enjoyed it as well. Um, Thanks, guys, for listening. You know, we hope you enjoyed this. And I know I say this every time. Every interview is awesome. But this was my favorite. I just have to declare it. It was my favorite so far. My favorite. Really good one. It's been fun. It's been fun doing the Sport Down Experience podcast. Uh, it's just getting better and better, guys. We have a fantastic lineup. Just stick with us. Give us a five-star rating if we're helping you out. Yep. Oh, and guys, I'll, I'll just say this, too. Uh, Brian and I are thrilled. We 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 just partnered with Radio.com. They contacted us, which was a thrill. Radio.com and their podcast, or I'm sorry, Radio.com and their website and their app. They get 25 million listeners on a monthly basis, and and we were fortunate enough to get asked to be a part of it. So we're thrilled. And and some of this couldn't have been done without you guys. You know, the loyalty and the following and listening to it. So you know, if you use if you don't use Radio.com or Radio.com's app, you should do it because there's a lot of great radio stations you can listen to. It's almost like iHeartRadio a little bit. So, you know, make sure you guys, you know, utilize that app to listen to different stations and things like that. But also, you know, subscribe to the 4th Down Experience podcast on, on that app too. So we're thrilled and it and it could have it could not have happened if it weren't for your guys' support. So thank you. Thanks, guys. Stick with us. Podcast coming out every Tuesday. Yep. See ya. Thank you, guys.
Thanks everybody for listening to the podcast today. And just a reminder, if you need gear for kicking, punting, or long snapping, Wizard Sports Equipment has you covered. They offer quality products, quality service, and affordable prices. So if you want 5% off your next order, go to www.wizardsports.com. That's wizardsports.com and get 5% off your next order. And remember, enter discount code 4thDown, that's the number 4, T-H-D-O-W-N, to get your 5% off your next order. Thank you for listening to the 4th Down Experience. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 4th Down Experience.